0: You have your Bibles? Psalm chapter number 34. We're in a little mini series entitled Life Lessons. And the thought behind this series with Life Lessons is that as you look into God's Word, You find life lessons in every single page. There's something in every single verse that we can apply to our lives. And the underlying theme for this little mini-series that we're doing with Psalm 34, the next week we'll be looking at Psalm 52, is this one little statement. And I gave you a challenge last week, and I'm not going to re-preach last week's message, but I'm going to refer back to it and then build on it. This morning, the challenge that I gave you as you went out last week was to look for opportunities to say, God is good. Full stop, because so often we have the natural way of responding. God is good. And then we add a but on the end. God is good. But my children, God is good. But my parents. God is good, but my health, God is good, but this exam, God is good, but these various people that I work with, God is good, but it's cloudy outside, and we have all these various buts that we add, because we know, because you're in church right now, and you know when to sit down, and when to stand up, and you know how to do church, that therefore we know that God is good, and we sang, great are you, Lord, this morning in our songs, And how often do we go, but my circumstances don't line up with God is good. That's our underlying principle for today. And it's a very short principle that I'm going to challenge you once again at the end of this message to live out God is good, full stop. But often you know that and we tell ourselves this, and I've told myself this as well. If I know God's word is true and I claim God is good, therefore everything has to be smooth. Have you told yourself that before? Everything has to be happy because I claimed God is good. But oftentimes what we find throughout the Bible and also in our personal lives is that God is good, full stop, but it actually doesn't get better right away. In fact, oftentimes life gets worse before it gets better i want to say that one more time because i want to say it with emphasis often life gets worse or more difficult or crazier or more insane before it gets better and you may think to yourself, fantastic, I have learned the key to happiness in the Christian life. God is good, full stop, everything's going to be easy now. And what we find in the scripture, we're looking at the life of David, who became King David, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What we find is that he was running for his life From his father in law and the king of Israel, a man named Saul, and Saul was insanely jealous of David. You you imagine family dinners when you're sitting across from your father in law and you know literally he wants to kill you. It's not just figuratively, he literally wants to kill you and he's chasing after you and you're running for your life. And it says in First Samuel chapter number 23, verse 14, and it says, "And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into His hand." So the question of this morning is, how do I remain sane in an insane world? How do I, sometimes you may say, how do I kind of just become sane in an insane world? And in this passage in Psalm 34, I'm going to give you a brief summary of what we talked about last week, and then we'll get into some positive new content this morning. But we're going to go through some difficulty here. We're going to see some things get worse before they get better. In Psalm 34, if you were just to read that psalm without any context of understanding where it's from, you would read verses like verse number 8 where it says, Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. And you would say, David is going through an easy, happy time in his life right now. Everything must be smooth, all the, he, you know, because he had multiple wives. All his wives were, were getting along well, and all the kids were happy and healthy, and all the bills were paid, and it was only ever sunny outside. But that's not reality at all. What we find in this passage is that, in the context of, of this Psalm, Psalm 34, is that David is literally running for his life he ran away and he ran toward a city named Nob. And this city was a city that that held priests or this town had priests, And it was a priest named Elimelech. And the priest Elimelech knew David by reputation because David was the king's captain of the guard. He was the chief bodyguard of King Saul. Yet King Saul was jealous and wanted to kill him. Very weird dynamic in that family. David ran towards Elimelech and into this town of Nob, and he ran to the priest, and the priest offered him bread from the holy bread because David was very hungry. He offered him a sword that was the sword of Goliath, that David had killed Goliath, and he gave him back that sword. And then Elimelech said, God bless you and go, because David had told Elimelech that he was on the king's business. He had told him that he was going to do what he was on a mission from the king and he was in a rush. So Elimelech helped him. And then David went off to the city of Gath and he acted like a, literally a madman because he ran into the town where Goliath had grown up. Goliath, the giants, the hero of that town, David had killed. And he runs in there to spare his life, carrying the very sword of the man that he cut, he cut Goliath's head off with that sword. And the people look at him like we're going to kill you. And so David acts absolutely insane. And the people, like the king said, "Do I lack madmen that you brought this man to me?" And he literally says, "Get him out of here! I, don't, I have enough crazy in my life. I have enough insane in my life." And he ran away to a cave called Adullam. And in this cave, David was hiding and he was running for his life. And if you notice, typical crazy invites more crazy when you're going through a difficult time have you noticed that it's not just one difficulty not just one insane thing that takes place they always they don't just come in threes that's just those just, just, people just say that they just come and pile on and david began to be surrounded by people who were, as it says in first samuel chapter number 22 verses one and two and David departed from there and escaped to a cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was, and here's the people that he was surrounding himself with. Real, positive, encouraging people. Those who were in distress and everyone who was in debt And everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David was joined by more crazy, but at this time he was safe. And that's when he begins to write Psalm 34. He was giving counsel to these 400 men who were in distress and in debt and bitter in soul. And he's giving them wise counsel. He wasn't bemoaning the fact that he was running for his life. In fact, he writes a very positive, encouraging, challenging psalm in Psalm 34. And he gives us some life lessons. And last week we looked at two different life lessons, and this morning we're going to continue on, but I'm going to give you a little bit more background, because things actually get worse before they get better. Saul... could not find David, and he was incredibly frustrated because no one was telling him where David was hiding. Obviously, a lot of people knew because he was surrounded by 400 people and David's family, but no one was saying a word. And Saul was having, a, a this is a king's way of saying it, a pity party. And he was saying, everyone hates me, everyone's against me. And you can read it in 1 in Samuel chapter number 22. And he's complaining. And then along comes a man named Doeg. And Doeg had seen David when he had gone into the city of Nob. And he tells Saul, I saw David. He went to the priest Elimelech and he told him what he did. And so then Elimelech was brought before the king. And Elimelech's like, what's going on? I have no idea. I was doing your work he goes, he's the captain of your God. If anyone's going to be trusted, it should be David. And then King, in his jealousy, said, no, you're against me, and accused him of treason and sentenced Elimelech to death. Saul had all of his guards surrounding him, and all the guards were commanded, kill this man. And all the guards went, "Uh uh-uh. Like, we're not killing the priest of uh, one of God's priests. And they were like, you know, the typical, I'm not doing that. Saul looked at Doeg and said, Doeg, go and kill him. Now, this is uh, this is that was the G rated version. You ready for the the M version without too much graphic? Then Doeg goes back to the city of Nob and kills 85 priests. And he kills every single man, woman and child in that town. And he goes around and even kills all the cattle and the sheep and the donkeys and everything. He totally destroys that community. And there's one person who survives. His name was Abathah. Abathah was a young man who lost absolutely everything. In that passage, it says in verse number 22, And David said to Abathah, because Abathah ran to David, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. And then he goes on in verse number 23 and he gives Abatha some comfort. And he says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Things got much worse before they got better. So how do we remain sane in an insane world? Let me just preface this. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, stay very still right now. Who's the dough egg in your life? Who or what is the dough egg? I'm adding to your vocabulary this morning. Who's the dough egg in your life? You may think to yourself, oh, this is a crazy situation, or this is a horrible situation. This is a bad thing that I'm in. And you can say, well, that's the dough egg in my life. And you may even be like David who says, you know what? When I saw that dough egg, I knew it was going to be a hard time. I knew he was going to tell Saul. Who's the dough egg? And if you're sitting next to your spouse, do not elbow them. That's not funny. Because you think about all the trials, the hurt, the, un- the insecurity, the finances, the health, the relationships. And you think there's a lot of different dough eggs in our life today. But God is good, full stop. So last week, we had the two points. Join me, that is, look to God. And then we saw that David said, learn from me. And he tells us the life life lesson of follow God. And this morning, we're going to look at the, the second half of Psalm 34, where he says, listen to me. And he talks about peace with God. And then he invites us to live with me, where it is trust God. So first of all, listen to me. That is peace with God. Oftentimes we have an incorrect definition of peace. We think peace is just peace and quiet. It's a very good time when the baby's crying. So excellent. I, I, I asked the parents to pinch the baby at the right time, and you did a good job. Because oftentimes when we think of peace, we think, ah, oh, everything has to be perfect and quiet and happy but that's an incorrect definition of peace we define peace as the absence of problems but that's not the peace that we find in the word of god and certainly not the peace that i find in my life because there's problems everywhere in psalm 34 we'll read verses 11 through 14 it says oh come children Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from seeking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. And it says, seek peace and pursue it. He's saying here, I want you to listen to me. Your circumstances are not peaceful in the slightest. But we're called to seek peace and to pursue peace. So what we see here is two things, which I'm just going to scratch the surface of. And this morning, we're just scratching the surface of a lot of actually wonderful theology. And, and we can see here, with when we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. I'm going to explain that to you, and we're going to walk through that very quickly. When we experience peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. It begins with, what is peace? Jesus declares, with him you will have peace. In a number of passages, and I just chose one, in John chapter number 14, verse 27, Jesus, in this context, has just told his disciples, I'm going to be leaving you. And these 12 men, who are strong, burly men, looking at each other and going, What? God, you're, you're, Jesus is going to leave us? What are we going to do? And you imagine the chatter and the uncertainty at this time. And Jesus Reassures them in chapters 14, 15, and 16 about how he's going to be leaving them. And don't worry, you're going to be okay. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. It's going to be all right. I'm going to do the Father's work. And then he says in verse number 27, Peace I leave with you. Did the disciples have a peaceful life? Not in the least. My peace I give to you. Did they have peace from God? absolutely because they had peace with God not as the world gives you do I give you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid when we think of peace we often think of peace and and we finish the sentence with peace and quiet my wife bought me an amazing gift a couple of years ago they are both noise-canceling headphones it's amazing. If you spend enough money at Kohl's, you get enough points, and you can buy some really good things. And I have no idea how much money that we had to spend at Kohl's in order to get headphones like that. I love going on a plane with them. And I don't know if you've ever done this. The first time you put noise-canceling headphones on, the noise of the plane goes, and then you have the crying baby in the background and all the other noise, but that constant, and you put your headphones on, and it goes, and then you know you do this as well. You lift them off, and then you put them back on again, because you want to hear how different it is. You go, ah, it's peaceful. The circumstances around you are still really noisy. the The noise is there. The crying baby is there. Maybe it's at nighttime in the plane. The snoring guy down the down the aisle is still there. But you have. Ah, I have peace in a very unpeaceful circumstance. That's what we find here when we have peace through Jesus Christ. We can discover peace with God. God is the creator of the universe. That peace with God talks about a relationship. A relationship that God started People often have, they think, well, I have no relationship with the creator of the universe. How can we possibly know God? But you see, God took the initiative. God wants to know who you are. God knows who you are. And he still says, I love you. And he still says, I want a relationship with you. God, the creator of the universe, says, I know you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. Therefore, I've sent Jesus Christ to earth. It says in Romans chapter number five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, God doesn't have some distant relationship with us where he just knows mankind as a whole. He knows us as individuals. As a child growing up, I got into basketball cards, the NBA basketball cards, and over the course of years, I collected hundreds if not thousands of the cards. And the really... Good ones are in the folder, and if you grew up in the 90s like I did, maybe you still have the cards in the little sleeve in the folder. And somewhere around, I'm saving them, hoping that one of them pays off my house. And then the the ones that you don't really care about that much are in the ice cream containers, and you have piles of those. And we would trade them, and we would say, "I'll give you this player for this player," and what we would do is we would turn them around on the back of the card, the the front we had the picture, the back you had all the statistics. And you'd work out how good this player was compared to that player. Well, he's not you know, this player's worth more than that player. And you get different books that would tell you the value of the different cards, and majority of my cards were five cents. We knew about the players. But did I know them? Not at all. Do they know me? Not at all. I knew about them. And that's the real difference. When we have peace with God, God doesn't just know about you in a sense that he knows humans exist, he knows you as individuals. He knows every bit about you, your good and your bad. And he knows your triumphs and also your weaknesses. And he says, I love you. And you're going to you can experience peace. It says peace with God through who? Through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he came to earth so we could have peace with God, the creator of the universe. We found that peace when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, being the perfect sinless sacrifice for our sins later this morning we're going to remember that through communion through the blood that jesus shed it was represented by the juice and the body that was broken on the cross for your sin and for my sin is represented by the bread and what we see throughout the Bible is the anticipation of Jesus Christ, and then we see Jesus Christ come to Earth and die on the cross, and then we have the response of how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to respond to to God's offer of salvation and forgiveness by placing our trust upon Christ as our Savior, accepting that free gift of salvation. No one can do that on your behalf, that you must be done yourself. And the benefit of that relationship with God, that peace with God, is that in the difficult times, when the noise of the world and the uncertainty of the world come around us, we can go through those difficult times experiencing the peace of of God. That's the second point there. We have the peace with God and then the peace of God. It says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, "And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding." That right there. When you hear the news, when you get that phone call late at night that none of us want to receive and you hear that horrible news of a loved one passing away, the circumstances are dire. The tears flow naturally, but you have a peace. That's what this is talking about. The peace that passes all understanding. I sat with families, and as many of you probably have too, who've gone through grief, you've heard news, relationships have broken up, children have gone wayward. How do we go through that? It's the peace that passes understanding. Will guide your hearts, and your mind, not in yourself, What does it say there? In Christ Jesus. That's the miracle of peace through the traumatic situations that we all go through in life. The crazy, insane things that we experience in life. We can experience the peace of God when we have peace with God. So the the natural question I must ask you is, have you accepted Christ as your savior? Do you have peace with God? You can do, take care of that right now where you're seated. You can have a conversation with God, talk about your sin, and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Is Jesus Christ really God? Did He really come to earth and die on the cross for your sin? Did He really rise from the dead? And if so, that changes everything. And I believe with all my heart that He did. If you'd like more help, at the end of the service, you can come and speak to myself or Pastor Larry. Or you can fill out a connection card and place it in one of the bags, and we'll make an appointment with you early this next week, and so that you can know peace with God. So that later on, you can experience the peace of God. And that leads us into this last part. That is the live with me. The live with me is the trusting in God. That's the now. What? How are we now to live differently as a result? Because we have peace with God and the peace of God. That means we're going to live differently as a result. And David here invites these four hundred men who were in distress and in debt and in bitter in soul to live with him, and in a real practical way, saying, let's live differently, let's start trusting in God. And it says in verses 15 through 22, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is towards those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him, that's trusting God, will be condemned. God is good. Let's replace that but with a truth. Rather than saying God is good, but... Let's start living differently and let's finish that sentence with God is good and start claiming and naming some of the wonderful theologies that we find in the word of God. So I'm going to give you three very quick theologies. None of this, if you've been in church for a while, is new to you, but maybe you're learning this for the first time. And if you're learning this for the first time, I hope this replaces the but in your sentence. And you can now claim and see the promises. First of all, we see in this passage that God is good. God knows you. He sees you and hears you. In that passage in verse number 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He's saying, I see you and I hear you. And it's not just because you're noisy. He says, I know everything. The theology behind that, the theologians have given that the word of God's omniscience. God knows everything everything he is all-knowing so you can literally say god is good god knows everything replace the but we can go on and see in the passage in verse number 18 it says that god is near us god is near you god is good because he is near us not only does he see you and he hears you he is near us and you know what it's so easy to say god's everywhere And it sounds so nice, but when you're feeling like you're all by yourself, when you feel like the world is insane around you, That's when we need to be reminding ourselves of truth that is from the beginning to the end of the Bible, that God is near us. And it literally says in verse number 18, the Lord is near you. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? So let's replace that but with God is good. He is everywhere. All the time. The theology behind that, the theologians are given that the word of the omnipresent. The omnipresent is he's everywhere. And you know what's interesting as you study that out? It's not just that he's everywhere. He's everywhere at once. He's here. He's everywhere. He knows absolutely everything. He sees absolutely everything. He's all knowing and he's everywhere at once. So when you hear that passage where it says, where shall I flee from your presence? That's a nice rhetorical question. And the answer is nowhere. It goes on and we can see that God saves you. What gives God the power and the authority to save you and I from our sins? We look around in the world around us and we see a lot of hurt. We see a lot of hurting people. Uh, something that I've been becoming more aware of as time goes on is that we live in a very crazy world. And that's an easy statement to make. But then you start to look at individuals and you see various individual people that are hurting and they're replacing God with various things. They're replacing it with different lifestyles and they're replacing it with different different ways of, of living that are not in any way following the truth of God. And what we see here in Psalm 34, verse 19, and also in verse 22, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but here's the truth. The Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. The theology behind that is God is all powerful. It's omnipotent. In other words, it's saying that if you need to sound it out, it's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Our response to that, it can't just be a response of, that's nice. When you replace the but with the truth and theology of God's will, you begin to discover the life lessons that are in a simple passage. That psalm was written 3,000 years ago. And as you begin to consider your response... Maybe you you need to look at yourself and say, God, I need to look to you. uh, We have four life lessons. Look to God. I need to follow God. I need peace with God, and I certainly need to trust God in the big things and the small things. We all have dough eggs in our life. Every single one of you are facing dough eggs, and it probably is going to get worse Before it gets better. So, how will you respond when you face the next dough egg in your life? And my encouragement if you have a brother or sister here, don't call them a dough egg on the way out. But as you think about these different dough eggs in your life, my challenge is the same challenge I gave to you last week. As you go out, just simply remind yourself of the truth God is good, full stop. And if you're tempted to add a but in there, replace the but with some truth. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere at once. God is all-knowing. God is good. Full stop. Psalm 34 says this. Just spend some time in reflection. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them of them all. He keeps all the bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned.